Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. To all the faithful listeners out there, we have a very special episode for you today. It's going to be a little different, but I'm certain it'll bring tremendous amount of value for everybody. I'm joined today by Joe Tellez, Chief Technology Officer at Tacoma Public Utilities and Executive in Residence at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. We also have Dr. Brent Matson, Professor at U of C and Chief Talent Officer at Invent, along with a few fellow students attending University of Colorado's Global Energy Management Program. So we've got myself along with Seth Osborne and Josh Norquist. Firstly, I want to give a huge shout out to the GEM program that's hosted in Denver through the University of Colorado Denver Business School. I mean, they're doing such a great job bringing in folks like yourself, Joe, to share their experience, their expertise, and just really just giving the students great resources for whether it's career advice, whether it's leadership advice. So again, a big shout out to the GEM program and you know, definitely want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. So before we get going, and we're going to do introductions, but without a respect for my sponsor, who's Technip FMC, I just want to highlight some fascinating technology that they provide. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes. So Dr. Brent, I want to start with you and, and obviously Joe is the highlight here, but I really want to give the listeners an idea of who you are, you know, give a little bit of background and just a little bit about yourself, if you will. Thanks, Justin. So as you mentioned, I am a chief talent officer. So I work in human resources, identifying folks from a technical background, technical perspective, all the way up through leaders, organizations, figuring out who's going to be a great fit in our organization and help take us into the future. The class that we're, we're talking about is leadership and decision-making in the global energy environment. And really the, the, the core of the class is about understanding what leaders do, how they think, how they adapt, and how they act in the ever-changing landscape of the energy industry. And as you know, as a big part of our class is understanding the, the practical and tactical elements of leadership and how people do that. And so we're, we're absolutely thrilled to have our executive in residence on to share some of his perspectives on those practical aspects and those, those things that he's faced over the years and how his leadership has changed. So to that end, the class has prepared a list of questions that we'll, 
we'll spring on Joe here and see if we can't foster a nice little discussion between ourselves. So uh, I appreciate you hosting this, this show, and I really appreciate Joe's joining and sharing his expertise and his perspectives. So thanks to you both. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Dr. Brand. And so, Joe, that leads us to come to you. If you would give a little background, you know, even you know, where you're from, how you got into the energy and utility space, and then we'll go ahead and start having a conversation around leadership. Great, Justin. First of all, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And I'm really encouraged by exploring this topic in our industry as we're undergoing another round of change that's really hitting us in all directions. So I began the industry, I think, about 27 years ago. I'm getting concerned that's trying to roll off my tongue naturally now. It just kind of hits me. It's been, it's been that long. I started on the water transportation and storage side, went to natural gas storage and transmission distribution, and back and forth between gas and electric for the past 27 years, both in investor-owned utilities as well as municipal utility where I'm now. I began my career like many people that came into the industry, you know, interning during my, my college years as an engineer. And, you know, took a, a role at a utility and, and never, never looked back. I would say, you know, through the course of my career, I've been able to play in many roles from, you know, from an operational standpoint, engineering management to technology. And technology has probably been the, the discipline that stuck with me the longest. This industry has brought me a lot of satisfaction and, you know, going through change from the electric industry restructuring in the late 90s, gas industry restructuring that followed. And now in this next round of disruption that's being driven by a lot of factors that we can probably get into in a little bit. It's just been a very fruitful career and I'm really excited to be able to share my story and, and provide you know bits of wisdom, if you will, on, and on navigating the distance yeah, no, that's excellent. And it's interesting because when I saw your, you know, your role and your experience, you know, we may have to do a round two to talk more on the technology side and, and utility side, because I think there's a lot of information there that my audience would be interested to hear about, because a lot of what I do is focused around upstream oil and gas. And so, but while, you know, for today, we're here to focus on leadership and, you know, because you've obviously reached a level of leadership, you've done extremely well. And I'm sure you, over the years, you've, you've really, you know, had a chance to identify your strengths, perhaps some weaknesses, and then how you've leveraged that in order to succeed at a very high level. And so I want to open it up to, you know, Seth Osborne, like I said, is joining us today. I'd like to give him an opportunity to ask the first question. So Seth, fire away, my man. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Justin. And thanks, Dr. Brent and Joe for the introductions there. So when we were looking at the questions that we wanted to, to pose for you, we had been looking at the different leadership styles that were being taught in the course. My question is kind of stemming from the length of time that you've been in leadership roles and the, the different types of leadership styles you might have used during that time. So the question is, how has your leadership style evolved over the years of your career? I think my style has adapted to you know, the needs of you know, our industry, our customers, and our workforce. And you know, think about the utilities industry in comparison to other industries like you know, banking, healthcare, biotech, et cetera, who's all undergoing you know, transformational change. The utilities industry is kind of catching up with, with you know, the modern industries. And when I say catch up is that you look at kind of the traditional management structures that are no longer present in those industries are still part of our, of our industry, you know, utilities as a very, you know, command and control heavy organization, you know, very 
pyramid type of, of organization. And really, you know, it's a result of, you know, a business model at the time that was pretty solid. You know, utilities had enjoyed a rather healthy monopoly, captive audience, workforce that would stick around for 40 years <laughs> or so. And so that itself kind of, in my opinion, you know, has sometimes stagnated a more, you know, progressive management style. So at the time, you know, coming into the industry and particularly in my area, my investment utility was very near the, some of the military installations. So a lot of our leaders came from, from the military. So it was a very, you know, command and control heavy organization, but very predictable, very pattern, a lot of management, you know, just you know, getting work done, getting, getting the widgets out the door. And also what I think that sometimes fostered is a need for continuity. So we kind of hired people within the industry to continue that same management approach. That's who we look for. So not only traditionally we're, you know, if we're on the gas side, we want to hire, you know, a civil engineer or electric. It's always giving electric engineer. We always kept our, our workforce aligned with our, our dimensions of what we want in our in our workforce and emulate that leadership structure going forward. But things started to happen. We saw it a little bit around you know the late 90s, early 2000s when industry restructuring was being driven, the decoupling of generation from transmission from distribution on electric side, gas, decoupling of 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 storage products versus versus transmission. And so these companies that had a rather healthy monopoly are now kind of looking at, you know, how does industry disruption change their business model and how do we evolve as leadership? So what I what I saw at that time is much more entrepreneurial thinking coming into the industry because on the conglomerate energy companies who had both an unregulated and a regulated business, a lot of the energy companies started going into unregulated business models. That requires a little more exploration. It's a little more risk-taking. That's not a traditional kind of management backbone that we had. And, you know, that began to evolve a little bit later. Now we're into these, these modern times. And I think probably the most style that I think has worked for me as well, obviously, is being in a very customer-driven organization working for municipal government, you know, serving our customers, you know, talking to our customers about, you know, challenges around affordability and rate stability and resilience, but doing so in organizational structure that looks a little bit more outward. And so, you know, servant leadership is not only just serving our, our employees and our staff, but actually serving our customers and helping build loyalty. That's a different kind of, kind of organizational management style, if you will. As a technologist, you know, I, I was able to both, you know, be in, a management organization, managing teams and groups and programs, or as an individual contributor, being an architect and being the, the tech designer, if you will. And I found what was more challenging and probably more satisfying was how do you get an organization to follow a direction where you don't have all that command and control as an individual contributor? So managing through influence has always been a transition for me is, is you know, when you're influencing a company to follow a direction, either a strategy or an investment direction, but you don't yield direct control of the resources, how do you get people to follow you, right? That's where the skills come in really, really deeply, listening, demonstrating mastery of understanding how to tailor the conversation and, and really responding to the different needs. And also being patient as, as a leader has always been a thing that, that I've had to enjoy because, you know, the pace of, you know, utilities between Public and private is a little different, you know. So some utilities it might take a couple of years to do something, and it might take another three years to do something. But it's just a pace that we go through. So I really found that today, the ability to influence the organization and build a constituency and partner has really required much more outward management skills than internal direct, you know, supervisory skills. If you will. 
Well, that's a great answer. And I mean, you touched on so many key elements that I think are essential for a strong leader. And you mentioned a few that kind of sparked my interest in communication. And so, you know, there's certain ways that certain managers and leaders communicate with folks within their management circle to the people that report to them. And so how would you describe, you know, the communication style that suits you or works best for you in your role as CTO? You probably heard this throughout this podcast. I like to tell stories. And yeah, this is I great. Feel, <laughs> I feel storytelling is probably the most effective role, effective method of communication for me to, for two reasons, to convey really complex material to my stakeholders, either regulators or, or policymakers. And being on the municipal government side, not everybody is an engineer. Not everybody is a, a utility person, elected official. So if I have to describe, you know, digital modernization and sensor control. I have to really tell a story to get to, to, to help them understand, you know, where that is, but also with the workforce that we bring on. And, you know, one of the effective uses of storytelling I found is how to share your story and mentor others. What I've seen today for the, for the first time in a long time is we talk about talent that's coming into the workforce the talent isn't homegrown. We're getting talent from other industries that we're looking elsewhere. You know, we're looking at other industries to bring in talent that is advancing data science or is advancing customer connections. And you know, how do we, you know, look at our 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 new our, our new employees and help them understand this industry, understand the nuances of of energy, and tell the stories of how you know what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I thought that was probably a really good way to kind of kind of shape their introduction to the industry also to kind of share those stories that you know kind of shape how things that I've we've learned in the past and one thing I kind of discovered as I tell stories is that the business comes in cycles we're always going to have disruption and how we deal with disruption is going to have a different set of circumstances you know but it's it's like it's nothing new here we are again <laughs> you know we've gone through you know turn in the past and, and you know, and, and, and the industry itself is going to be resilient. It's going to be maybe not exactly the same business model uniformly across the sectors, but, you know, I kind of communicate that what's, what's kept me, you know, connected and interested in this industry is that that change has always led to new outcomes. And so that's probably the most effective way for me is to communicate. And again, it's gone from the past of, you know, drawing a bunch of pretty PowerPoints and then, you know, reading verbatim to, to an audience, but actually, you know, throwing a picture up and just kind of telling a story and connecting with my audience. And, and that's what I really, really appreciate. That's the kind of what worked for me. Our new general manager, she adopts that same style. And I really enjoy that model because it's something that I admit myself. Well, storytelling is an art. And, and I find that if you can tell a story, you really get the engagement and people will generally listen to a story. And that's one thing, you know, that good presenters or people who do public speaking, the best ones are oftentimes the best storytellers. And so that's an interesting point. And I never thought of that, you know, as, as a strong sort of piece of the puzzle to communicate amongst, you know, different, you know, levels of, of people within the organization. You mentioned about a transition and, and having people coming into the industry. Again, there's a lot of transition happening right now in energy. And, you know, for, for again, myself and, and Seth actually as well as in oil and gas, a lot of folks in oil and gas are entertaining the thought of joining renewables or other facets within energy. Have you seen, so obviously you've seen this, can you describe some of the challenges 
from a leadership perspective on how you welcome and how you in, in, encourage those folks coming from the outside into, you know, say the space that you're in? Excellent question. And we're talking about the great transition, right? The great transition from a carbon-based fuel source to, to a renewable fuel source, but also the transition that's happening in our workforce. It started with the, what they called it in 2010, the great tsunami, right? That everyone's going to kind of retire at the same time. And that kind of happened in, in trickles. Let's face it, we know for the most part, energy utility companies still provide a healthy pension. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a luxury in, in, in this day and age. So the workforce is, is having a realization that I was in a, a meeting recently, and I think there was probably four generations of people in the same meeting. And I forget what they're all called, but from the boomer to the a Gen Xer like myself, a millennial, and then I call the data natives, right? The people that are just really, really, really focused on, on data that are coming out of college. And for the first time, that kind of you know, made me realize that this, this industry is now really beginning to transition and shape a, a new kind of workforce. So... Coming into that, and I think when I let off this question, you know, the traditional utility model is being disrupted, but for the most part still has a relatively healthy business model. And sometimes that creates a bit of complacency within the organizations. And so complacency sometimes could could manifest itself into, you know, very low tolerance to risk taking. So having, you know, people coming in with a very innovative and very creative mindset coming into a real structured organization where innovation you know, if you ask about, you know, we need to be innovative, okay, let's schedule a meeting that has spontaneous thought. That's, that's not what I meant about incorporating that kind of mindset, right? And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it really, it's, it, it's, it's helping, you know, them understand that, you know, the pace of change, right, is something that, that's going to be a little bit, you know, slower than, you know, from other industries, but also, you know, keep in mind with the heuristics, right, for, you know, Utilities, for the most part, energy industry, for the most part, are engineering-heavy organizations, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recovering engineer myself, right? And so, <laughs> so you know, what, what happens with, with, with that kind of culture, and it's not just unique to, to utilities, but, you know, there's a, there's a perfection versus progress type of heuristic that sometimes dominates the organization. We look at something, you know, the two are blue in the face and everything is perfect as we, before I make a decision. Well, that decision has an opportunity because it took a long time to get there. Right. And so helping, you know, those new workers who, 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 who do want to move a little bit faster, who want to be able to spread their wings and, and be creative and innovative. It can be, you know, very challenging if that organization has not, you know, adopted, you know, more agile methods of decision making or, you know, looking at risk models a little more, you know, a little more predictably and find a way to incubate that kind of talent. And but for those industries that are those utilities and energy companies that have really try to understand digital transformation, try to really get into the customer sentiment and understanding value streams for customers. That itself requires a bit of creativity. So being able to kind of match, you know, the needs of the employees and try to not to, you know, and try not to, you know, insulate the, the traditional utility thinking from that creative thoughts going to be a challenge, but it's also just kind of preparing those the workers for the pace that we're in. And, and again, I'm speaking from both, you know, at investor-owned utility, then add a municipal structure to that. It gets even a little more challenging and a little bit slower. (laughs) So I would say also what I also encouraged the staff as we begin to look outward, you know, beyond just our traditional model and talking to customers. 
And I had this revelation myself, you know, I was a technologist and as an engineer, I'm probably the last person to see given a town hall discussion about, you know, about, you know, change and, and transformation. And so it's really challenged my personality style to, to you know, be the, you know, the you know, going from you know, the very inward and quiet engineer on the corner to, you know, being our public speaker and, and engaging with our customers and just having that connection with, you know, our customers really hit me, you know, last year when I was going live and then we went to COVID and digital, but really connecting with our customers at a time of need, understanding what's kind of happening within our marketplace, the challenges our customers are going through with the economic impacts of what we went through last year and really connecting, you know, to customers on a real deep personal level. So what's helpful and why I bring this story back is that when we have, you know, workers looking to how to make a difference, right? And, you know, people that are, pursuing green tech energy jobs are in it for, you know, both a, an innovation perspective, also for a bit of purpose, right? And helping our, our nation, you know, advance decarbonization goals and, and lead to a much greener future. So if you connect that, that sentiment with the end result of the customers and, and being out, you know, with, with the customers, it really helps them, I think, have a sense of duty in their, in their job, right? And so, that's what I really help encourage, you know, is making that connection because of the most part, when you talk about utilities, customers are always these objects. There are rate class A, rate class B, there are residential, commercial, industrial. We forget their sentiment beings and wants and desires, right? And so having to be able to personalize your, your, your approach and, and how you speak to that audience has always been a welcome addition as we've gone through this transition. And so for our new staff, I, I really try to get them in front of, our customers and understand the role they're doing to, you know, not only advance our business goals, but also to speak to them in terms that they can understand. Right. No, that you've touched on a lot of good points there. And you mentioned, you know, new staff. And so one of the questions that was brought up was, you know, for folks that you know, work for you or, you know, maybe have a dotted line towards you, what, what types of leadership qualities do you look for within people to join your team? So we're going to hear, when we, when we look at, you know, hiring for fit, and I think Dr. Batson talked about that earlier on, hiring for fit is not only, you know, how does an employee fit into the culture? What I look at, how is the employee can advance our culture change, you know, moving beyond a traditional model to empathy is such a, it's such a critical skill set these days, not just within a social construct, but an organizational construct as well. Given the amount of disruption and and, and turmoil we've we, we faced in the last year, empathy also allows you know our employees to see to see others right, and so to, to having that that empathetic lens, I think, is a very critical skill set have have these days. Communication ability is still you know very 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 needed. I think you know. Sometimes when I look at a pen, I kind of forget how do we use these things. But, you know, we've gone so much off, off the digital deep end, right? We kind of forgot about the connections that, that we need. And so even in a format like this, you know, doing Zoom call for other industries, this, this format has been part of their DNA. They know how to do this. They know how to connect, you know. And as utilities who, who went through a lot of, of change and work from home in, in this kind of format, that's really highlighted you know, the need for workers to connect, you know, much more deeply and to leverage much more critical thinking skills and, and communication style because we're in this new in this new format. You know, also 
the willingness to learn, the desire to learn is always, you know, always a key thing for me. And one thing I would say that it's funny you asked this question because I just had my employee survey. We ask our employees, hey, for the cost. Every company knows that. And I was thinking I was going to get killed this year because of COVID and a lot of things we had got. I, I had a 99, which was like, yeah, what did I do? <laughs> so, Congrats. I was kind of pulled out of an audience and kind of share my story. Like, I don't know what I did. But I, 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 I kind of <laughs> said, I'll kind of go back at myself with a corny bit. You know, what, it, what came back is I really care, right? When, you know, when, when someone has a, a, a challenge, either, you know, it's a, a challenge at work, it's a challenge at home, and they feel comfortable and transparent sharing with me, I try not to have all the answers, right? You know, the ability to listen and, and actually kind of admit that, you know, I really don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to listen. That creates a connection. It does. And so, you know, and that's kind of where I, I felt a, a little, you know, more, you know, to the results of that dialogue. And it's very easy to have that kind of connection. Also, letting go is one of the areas that I, I felt kind of challenging. When I, when I talk about all these programs and technology drives that I championed all since my, my career, and then I hire a team to implement, I get kind of bored. Like, I want to go do that now. They're talking to the board and they're doing all the work. I'm just looking at a PowerPoint these days. You know, <laughs> I, that would basically be me, right? But, yeah. but again, to look at your staff that you've hired who is leading a board meeting, right, who is who is authoring publications and, and getting their, their names out there. That is satisfying for a manager, right? So yeah. you kind of go, kind of going back, you know, the traditional you know, command and control management structure where, you know, knowledge is power. You don't kind of share it, right? Because you don't, you'll lose some of your, your influence. But in, in, in for me, the more you can mentor and pass on and, and prop up, it's not only rewarding for, for the employee and the organization, but to look back and say, this is, you know, a style that's worked for me and to see it emulated. It's been really, really satisfying. Right. No, that makes sense. So shifting gears a little bit, and one of the questions that I had added to the list was, you know, going up through the ranks, being promoted, you often see a lot of folks work in organizations that have peers that work alongside them. And you just so happen to be the one that's performed enough to get the promotion or however, you you know, whatever that looks like. So have you had to manage people who are your former peers and if so, how did you go about this? And, and how do you sort of, you know, go from, you know, fellow coworker that you're going to go have beers with after and, you know, BS about whatever to then now being their boss or, or their supervisor? How do you lead from that perspective? And how do you avoid basically the politics behind that? Good question. Probably a little bit of subjective on, on the response. So, you know, if you have working in, you know, a section that appears mutual trust, mutual respect is kind of your foundation, right? If you're a team, you're productive working together on the same path, you're making sure that you have that, that kind of solid foundation. So, you know, when the time comes where either you're promoted within that work group or, or, or elsewhere, it's not looked at as why, you know, it's not looked at as a inequity thing. In other words, why did, you know, so-and-so get the job and I'm right, right, right next to them they already kind of see that, you know, this, you know, this person was doing so good in my work group and I'm really happy for them. We established that trust, that mutual respect, et cetera. So, you know, I think as long as you have that foundation on it, it, it shouldn't be a problem, but also, you know, you you do have to separate a little bit, at least in my opinion, so I'd say it's subjective. You know, the camaraderie is going to be a little more at a higher level, right? You know, it's, it's, I found as much as I want to go to happy hour with the team, that's a very selective group that I, I, I go with. And it's just, it's just you have to kind of maintain that integrity between the, you know, the, the supervisor-employee relationship. 
it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, cold and have that door closed the whole, the whole time. But it's just, I, I found that there is a healthy separation. I'm maintaining that, maintaining that level. Mm-hmm. And also when you talk about promotions, what's also worked well for me is, you know, given that energy companies, utilities have a variety of roles and, you know, being in a role, you can do an operational gig or go into, go into a technology role. Sometimes, you know, moving laterally to move up has always been a useful vehicle for me. If I wanted to get into, you know, energy trading and risk management, okay, well, I'll go be an analyst in, in that group. It's a kind of a sideways move and kind of, and kind of move up. So being willing to move sideways to pursue another path in the organization also, I think, creates a lot of respect in the organization, right? You know, in other words, you're, you know, it's, it's not always looking for that promotion, but I want to be able to get into that. Well, what do I have to do to understand that line of business, right? But still, you know, when I kind of say, you know, when you want to maintain a healthy degree of separation, that's a little bit of a, an item that can be a little the wrong thing to do sometimes, particularly in, in our arrangement now. We're all working from home. We're all disconnected. And we're all kind of feeling isolated. And so I found just having coffee sessions with the group, you know, at 8.30. And I don't have an agenda because, because agendas are, are good, but I, I just want to hear what's on everybody's mind. Let's, let's yeah. talk about things. A little risky because there could be a conversation that's going to go you know, to – to an area that's probably, you know, it's probably not healthy for the workforce, but just having that connection as well is, <laughs> is really good. So yeah. we have the coffee sessions, which, which are good. And again, you know, employees connect for information. They want to know what's going on, right? In some cases, I don't know. When we going back to work, Joe, I don't know. <laughs> you right. know? But I do know it's not going to be the same. <laughs> it's just, that's, you know, just kind of being in that regard. And also, you know, when you have feedback to share that is unsolicited and really, really good about you know, your, your employees, your peers, share it immediately. You know, that's one thing that you, feedback is a gift, you know, you know, yeah. the positive or the negative. It makes sure that you have that, you know, that, that ability to, to share feedback and going back to your question. And, you know, you know, when, if there is some, you know, negativity around a work group or someone else gets promoted and then, you know, having that, that, that feedback and what worked for them, this is what I did. You know, maybe, you know, that's an area that they can focus on as well, right. As, as a, as a learning opportunity. Right. Again, thank you for that answer. I want to hand it over to Josh. He has a couple of great questions. And so Josh, I'll let you go ahead and, you know, ask Mr. Joe a couple of the questions that you had. Thanks, Justin. Just by way of mini introduction, I've been working in the geothermal industry, geothermal power industry for the last 12 years down here in Nevada and a number of different roles in the business development and operations arenas. And I've had the opportunity to work with some of the utilities down, down here. And you touched on a couple of items that are very key to kind of my question on how utilities are, I would say, more traditional in their management structure and a little behind the curve when it comes to industry change. And you touched on a couple of things that you're seeing happening, both external forces and internal forces to change in your company. So I wanted to ask this question and expand on a little bit. The question was based around the types of organizational changes that you're seeing happening inside, you know, maybe focus a bit inside the company to adapt to these new environments, to adapt to the, new, the changing workforce that's coming in and the external changes to the industry as well as, you know, the ch- one of the challenges you have implementing that change inside the organization. Yeah, we're going through this. And then again, I see this happening with a lot of my pure industries, pure utility companies as well. One of the, the, the items that I, I really enjoy is to be able to be, you know, 
on advisory boards or other consortiums of other utilities across the nation. So the reason that's good for me, because di- disruption isn't uniform. What you know, utilities facing in the southeast and southwest with you know the solar and high energy prices, not the same kind of thing I'm dealing with northwest, because my my energy kind of falls out of the sky every day, right? <laughs> Things are pretty are pretty cheap because we're all hydro. But what's kind of uniform in that regard is I see a lot of more organizational response to customer centricity. So being very intentional on reinforcing the value streams for the customer relationship, you know, given that that the monopoly of a healthy, you know, captive audience is beginning to get shaken up a bit, you know, where we have, you know, either new entrants into the energy space for supply, prosumers who are kind of in a net generation position who don't really need a lot of good services to, you know, community aggregators coming in and kind of taking over customers, you know, in some markets, particularly in the in the south in the southeast, is a disruption to the utilities. So the need for organizations to be more customer centric is driving organizational change right now. For the first time I'm seeing chief customer officers or chief digital officers seeing a much more intentional direction on building a customer value stream. The way I kind of think about it is customer expectations are being shaped by other industries, right? They want the immediacy of Google, the you know, the ease of use of Apple, the you know, the beating me on my my time and preferences and my desires that I get from Netflix and Uber, right? They want the kind of experience when it kind of comes to all their providers, right? And so what that kind of tells me is the organizations are evolving from looking at customers as objects, like I mentioned, and kind of measuring their performance and just traditional, you know, customer satisfaction metrics to customer sentiment metrics to we see things around, you know, net promoter scores being introduced into the KPIs for an organization. Well, net promoter scores are are pretty much bread and butter for other industries that have customer-centric intentions and utilities beginning to wake up to that. So one organizational change, I guess, is a direct response to the need to be much more connecting to customers and you know, help them understand the value stream that their services are delivered in. The other where I'm seeing an organizational change is if you look at strategies of different utilities, just about every utility is going to have this intention of being data-driven. We're a data-driven organization. We use data to do X and Y. And that's and that's really what's happening because of that is because the availability of analytics and, and you know the technology now is allowing the, the enterprises to act much more in real time and, and, and to be predictive. We see within our shared services groups much more capability around not only just traditional, you know, talent management, but for workforce analytics, giving, you know, managers insights onto trends and, and models to understand, you know, what our workforce is going through, what the transition looks like, right? So I see much more return to some central services to kind of, kind of share data, kind of share that insight as well. Within engineering, I think we're seeing, you know, a shift from, you know, a pure reliability focus to data being resilient. There's a difference in reliability and resiliency. You know, when we talk about reliability has kind of been the engineering, you know, focus for our, our industry and, and making sure things don't go down and, you know, over, you know, making sure our system is built correctly and measured on, you know, on availability. But we talk about disruption from, you know, wildfire and, and big storm surges, resiliency is the ability to recover, recover quickly. And that requires a much more coordination, right? And so we're seeing, you know, you know, organizational changes that that you know take traditional roles and put them together you're talking about you know how do we work together 
you know, from a facility standpoint, from a, a customer standpoint, an engineering standpoint, when things are, are, are going wrong. And so you see much more kind of unified structures in that regard. But it's still not uniform. I think, you know, there's some, you know, organizations that, you know, I see this a lot in on the power generation side, the traditional plant control models, or they're kind of out in, in their own universe and <laughs> kind of share a very, very, very healthy, you know, structure and how to integrate that within the organization as well. But again, to answer your question, on the outside, much more customer-centric organizational design on and on the inside is, you know, how do you put talent together to leverage data across the different disciplines we have here is, is creating much more of a, of a collaborative model in some groups. And I wanted to mention, so we're doing well on time. Anyone else, feel free to chime in. We, we can supplement the questions. So certainly want to you know, create a conversation around certain topics. If there's anything that interesting that, that Joe has spoken on, you know, whether it's Dr. Brent, Seth, Josh, you know, feel free to chime in. I encourage you guys to ask further questions too. Yeah, I'll expand on what we we're just talking about too. I'm, I'm interested yeah. to know, because obviously you're dealing with internal challenges as well. I mean, I think I can only imagine you've got with a older, more experienced workforce and then bringing in, you know, kind of new or new change underneath them is always a challenge. I know I've seen that in my own organization as well. Maybe what's there some advice that you've, that you've absorbed over the years to share and, and how to deal with that? Well, I think when you hire in for fit, I, that's, you know, you're, you're really, you know, making sure that not only the you're looking for the, the skill set and, and, and the need to fit the organization without the, the structure, the culture, how, how you fit. As a supervisor, as a manager, I really believe when someone doesn't fit in the organization, that shows up almost immediately. <laughs> and so if it could be such a detriment to take a lot of time for coming to that realization, right? Because it creates, you know, a lot of unfortunate issues, both the employee and the organization. So being willing to understand when you know we might not have a good fit here, and addressing that early early on is going to both serve you know the employee's best interest on and also the organization's best interest. And in very you know conservative you know organizational cultures that are not really willing to have direct conflict, you know we kind of seen sometimes where you know those employees that that didn't initially fit get passed on to somewhere else and try it again somewhere else within the organization. That's you know, and eventually this person's moved seven different ways. We're just kind of passing on, <laughs> passing on, on the problem. So I think, you know, having a strong, you know, service function and good tools from our human capital organizations, being able to, to not only identify good talent, but also understand when the fit isn't there and how to deal with that effectively and timely. Because, you know, what happens and, you know, just kind of be honest here Again, you might have that employee around the next thirty years, <laughs> you know, because that, that that's just that is a job where you can you can you, you can move around. So to know that it's 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 not a it's not a good fit. Also, as a manager, you know, as I you know, mentor other other managers and management is relatively easy. There, everybody's getting along and there's not a lot of conflict. But making those decisions, having those crucial conversations. And going through the process, you know, either, you know, with, with organized labor and understanding the process of, of all that, that's an opportunity as well. You know, so if you have a supervisor that is, you know, this is the first time they have to engage in this kind of conflict, present it as a learning opportunity. It's very easy to say, I'll, I'll do it for you. I've done this before. But I tell you what, you know, the first time you've, you've dealt with that and you understand, you know, how beneficial that arrangement is going to be for both the employee and the organization it's a defining moment in your career, right? And so, you know, being a manager and not always trying to 
insulate your staff from conflict is probably one of the worst things you can do because conflict does build resiliency in the organization as well and going through those. But at the same time, when you hire for fit and, you, and it's right, you knock it out the park and you kind of see, you know, you, you become home run hires. Well, this, this person is, you know, doing X and Y and, and always, you know, requested that and that feels good as well. So I guess but back to the question is being able to address both the, the good behaviors and the bad behaviors. But, you know, my opinion, given our industry is such that a transformational change, some of those decisions to be made quickly. Yeah, and that's something that traditionally we really avoid <laughs> in, some, in some regards. Understood. Yeah, this is Brent, by the way. Have you seen the industry get faster at dealing with those with those sorts of issues over time? I would say faster from our own lens. Probably not as fast as other industries, right? It just it just it just you know, time is time is money. Customers are money. The valuation is there in the. And the opportunity loss of indecisiveness, really the bottom line kind of focus for those, for those organizations. But ours, you know, within our, our industry now, and I think there's even a, a closer look at, you know, as, you know, what are the impediments to change within these structures? Do we have people that have been around a long time in the organization? Do we need to, do we need to help them? You know, because right now with you overlay, you know, the disruptions that are coming from the industry, add on you know, the equity and the social justice arguments for happening with the utilities right now. There's, there's a lot of change happening right now. So, you know, being able to look in the organization as well to understand, you know, where are the areas that are kind of, you know, pulling us back a little bit is and how do we address that is you know, another more, you know, more kind of nuanced approach to conflict. Joe, I'd like to come back to a point that you raised earlier, and it was around the transformation in your organization towards customer centricity. And I think you mentioned that one thing you like to do to drive that is to put new employees in front of your end users. And I was wondering if you could provide some other examples on how you're driving maybe KPIs or your organization alignment around that customer centricity focus. Excellent question. I just had a panel discussion on a very similar topic. When it comes through customers and the value proposition utilities present to them. Historically, it's, you know, reliability and rate stability, right? Mm-hmm. Just very predictable, tested and true. Don't look here, just pay our bill and leave us alone. <laughs> we, we have, you know, you have kind of like two connection points to customers, right? When you're way down a bill when the power is out or the gas is out, it's kind of, kind of, kind of been it. But as I mentioned, you know, we're, you know, being able to now, identify customers as not just kind of, you know, objects that are captive, but objects that people that have these wants and desires and if presented with an alternative may choose someone else, <laughs> right? If, if that's a market you're in. So what I call that is our opportunity to create stickiness with our customers. How do we create a relationship that transcends a traditional, you know, very passive engagement, one that's a little more active and, you know, not only do we deliver the service, but how they feel about it, and would you recommend elsewhere? It's a different kind of metric and different, different kind of approach. And it's, and again, it's not, it's nothing new to other service-based industries that you know create a very deep connection to the customer. So if the customer, you know, is approached by a competitor, I will do the same thing for about cheaper. Nah, I, I like this place. This is good, right? I'm, I'm, I'm happy. They, they, they took care of me. And you know, with any, with any crisis creates opportunities. So last, you know, last year with the impact of COVID and businesses shutting down and the need for customers who really have assistance is like, you know, with utilities, you know, what an opportunity is to try to create a value stream, you know, 
we're going back when you think about, you know, you know, other providers, it's, we don't, we don't talk about, you know, the things they did for us when everything was good. How do they take care of us when things were really bad? That's an opportunity that, that we've had in the past. Either we're, we're doing, you know, progressive, you know, payment arrangements, we're doing employee giving campaigns, even, even customer giving campaigns as well, and, and helping them kind of navigate the terminal here. So understanding, you know, KPIs are not just addressing the delivery of service, but how the customer feels about it and, and, and make it much more, more active. Another piece that I see happening, and a couple of utilities that I've been around that are really doing this well, some organizations have been able to, you know, describe every role in customer-centric terms. In other words, what did you do for the customer today, right? And, you know, when I ask that question, you know, I'll, I'll, for those that have a frontline type of relationship with the customer, it's an easy response. But, you know, for a hydro mechanic, that's not my deal, <laughs> right? But when you kind of connect that to, okay, reliability, you know, plant maintenance, you know, yields to operational excellence and connecting that right, to help deliver, you know, energy to my customer. That's a, a that's a kind of a big transition that that I see us, us making as become more customer centric. And also there are trivial things we can do. I mean, I always try to you know, kind of remind people when we're having a bad day in the office, right? We'll always have a bad day and we'll, you know, whether whatever conflict is coming up. And if it happens to be in the winter, why don't we just take a trip down to the payment office? Let's go look at a bad day. Right. And so having that empathy is, 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 is and connect you to that sense of mission is always, it's always good. And it could be one of my old uh, managers he used to call it the little old lady test. <laughs> so what would the little old lady say about this and how to feel about this decision? I'm going to put there, you know, but it's just, just, be making, it's just making sure that you're, it's a great you're idea. Connecting to, you're, you're connecting, connecting to that. And I really believe that's going to pay goodwill and dividends and, you know, and for us, you know, our utilities is, is hydro-based and you know, we're 99%, you know, um, carbon-free energy. It's a, it's a low rate. Our customers like us and what a good starting point. <laughs> and so we're just kind of telling them, you know, that's not how it is across the nation. There are other utilities in, 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 in energy industries that are challenged right now, you know, with you know energy prices and supply disruption and customers are just not liking the rate increases and, and beginning to revolt. So, don't let that model build complacency, right? Because, you know, now we have a very good starting point in this, in this two more. And so for me recently, as we go through our, our, our strategy, you know, I'm the technology guy, but I'm leading our customer objectives, right? How did that happen? <laughs> you know, I'm not the, Joe doesn't do the customer thing. Yeah, but every, every investment we make in technology can be, can be translated in customer terms, either for, you know, how we advance affordability. You know, you think about, you know, that as a as a KPI that's new, not how just rate stability, but affordability. What is your energy cost as a percentage of income for a resident, or your energy cost as a percent of revenue for a business? Right? How do you keep those metrics kind of going, making sure the product is still affordable? And that's going to be you know that's going to be another kind of transition as we measure our performance with our customer base. Excellent. Maybe, go ahead, Josh. I say maybe tied to that. I had a had a thought. You know, you talked a lot about some of the great things you're doing for your customers, and of course, this is primary importance. This is your this is your revenue stream. Do you see any changes in how? Well, well first question: Do you buy power from other people as well? It sounds like you you may have a lot of assets under control, and 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 I don't know if you buy from a lot of other companies, but do you see that? If so, do you see that relationship changing? And I, I of course I speak from that because that's what we do. We sell to utilities, <laughs> right? So, you know, two parts of that question. So my utility is, you know, 
99% hydro, 45% is our own hydro projects, and then we purchase the other half from the Bonneville Power Administration, it's a federal federal authority, which is still which is still hydro out of long term purchase contract. But you know, as you know, states and and other jurisdictions are advancing you know decarbonization goals and and doing you know very very aggressive mandates to bring down more renewables onto the grid and. One thing I've kind of found that, you know, if you look at, you know, resource efficiency from a pure, you know, cost per megawatt basis, and that's how you make your decision on, on, on supply, you know, customers though, and I kind of tested this a little bit, some are willing to pay more <laughs> for the source of energy if they know it came from a renewable resource, right? And so that's a different kind of persona. That's not the customer persona of, of all, but there are, you know, there are customers who, who have that willingness and desire to kind of advance, you know, their own interest in you know, making sure that the energy received is, is green and, and healthy. But at the same time, you know, we need to kind of remind our customers that, you know, the, the physics of the grid, the intermittency of renewables and and the fact that you still need fast start resources like you know, a hydro plant or a gas fired generator to help balance and help bring all these renewables onto the grid you know, and bring a, a bit of pragmatism. So for us, it's not only reinforcing the value of hydropower and the fact that it's cheap, but also how hydropower is being leveraged in the California independent smart market to help balance and bring on more renewables for the grid. And for us, it's like, when the sun goes out in California, we're firing up, right? Because the there's there's a, there's a big need for energy at that time, that critical time, and so you know, kind of kind of providing that that as well. And so I think it's it's both a you know understanding the impacts of you know long term purchase you know power contracts that are still financially viable, but also you know making decisions that you know for customers that may want to see a little more you know different sources within their portfolio and are willing to pay for it. Anyone else? Maybe we can move on. Cool. So there was a question brought up, you know, and there's actually a word that keeps getting brought up is change. We're, you know, constantly change is happening every day, every minute, all the time. So the question was, how do you prioritize what to focus on in technology when so much is changing all the time? Yeah, great question. <laughs> so you know, prioritization, you said every organization is going to have a way to objectively prioritize goals, right? There's going to be, you know, a measure, you know, what's a customer value, what's your operational value, but also I'm seeing what's the workforce value. You know, does this technology help advance the goals of, you know, affordability with our customers, cost effectiveness and automation and control within our operation, but is a workforce, you know, going to be able to you know, learn and, and grow with, you know, new ways of, of, of working and, and kind of match that need. So that's kind of one, you know, how do you just prioritize projects and initiatives kind of going forward? What I found recently is traditionally in utilities and in, 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 in the measure of, of our priority or just, just you're getting things approved, we've always been very strict in that ROI lens, right? What's the return on equity? It's return on investment. It's a payback, right? Engineering, right? This is how we do things. You know, but when you talk about, okay, so we're going to do a, a cool new customer portal that allows customers to be notified of outages and you know, what's the payback on that? It, it's not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's I'm probably going to be a loser from our ROI perspective. That's the right thing to do, right? So that's been, you know, mm-hmm. what's been very challenging for utilities that make those, those type of, you know, investments that don't have a hard dollar return, but yield, you know, much more 
benefit streams for, for customer and workforce is how do you kind of bring that up into the capital dimension? I kind of just talk about, you know, if, for example, you know, if I had to do a business case on email, we probably wouldn't have email <laughs> because it's, it's not, it's not an ROI thing. It's, it's, it's how you do things as an organization. So for yeah. utilities, we look at things like smart grid and advanced metering. And if you don't have a big service territory, advanced metering is probably not going to pencil up, but the products and services you can build on that from, you know, build your, you know, prepayments to select your bill date to monthly billing and to, you know, detailed customized energy reports that customers, you know, will value is how you kind of, you know, think about that priority as well. And also one of the things that I try to remind myself is as you're putting together a, a technology strategy that's you know, three to five years, matching that with organizations' capabilities. Not every organization is, is Amazon when it comes to technology. Some are going to take a little bit longer, so you want to make sure you, you, you tailor that. But also, when we make investments, we understand what foundational investments are, right? We build platforms, platforms that allow us to meet an immediate need and grow into the future. And so making that connection has been, been really good. Another thing that I'm kind of seeing within industry in our in our, in our sector is how we budget for, for investment. You know, we do business cases, we, we nail it down. It's, we know exactly what we're going to do and we're going to do it and how much it's going to cost and how much we attempt to, to realize. But as we get more agile in our regard, right, we have the opportunity to look at, you know, new business lines or revenue streams that might come up during the course of the year. How do we respond to them organizationally? Do we fund projects or do we do fund strategies? You know, how do we be a little more agile in our models. Do we reserve pieces of our capital budget for innovation? Right. And that's just, that's not how we think, right? We have to be very perfect how we, how we budget, but other industries do that. You know, they have a, a way to identify, you know, barriers of innovation and agility and remove them. You know, so I think I've gotten myself in trouble a lot, particularly with the finance groups where we talk about, you know, capitalization versus versus OPEX and you know, and like, ah, we can capitalize that. Well, that's on the cloud. Well, you know, just, you know, we talk about accounting principles and the first word is generally accepted. So it means we can talk about that a little bit. So, you know, being able to have challenged some of those very, very, you know, institutional ways of, of, of we've always done business this way. This doesn't make sense. Well, we're, it's changed. That's it, where, where it's at. You know, other industries have done it. Other utilities did it. Why can't we? You know, so that's going to create some conflict, obviously, but come prepared with case studies <laughs> and, and tell the story. Right. You mentioned other industries and in a few times, and, and I can relate to that in oil and gas. We look at other industries and say, wow, you know, what are they doing? It's crazy. And then five years later, we're, we're asking the same people how to do it. What industries are you, are you referring to? Are there, is there anyone out there that kind of, you know, is in the spotlight for adoption and in creating these changes? And if so, can you give some examples on, on what certain companies or organizations are doing well? Yeah, let's talk about just our pure organization. So, one of the things to being pragmatic when you know when utilities begin to compare themselves with Uber and Amazon and, and Netflix, I'm like, yeah, I don't think our product is that sexy when it comes to <laughs> it comes to you know you know those type of industries. And again, those industries are you know, I think they call them digital dragons. They're kind of born in digital space. They they dominate the industry. They dominate the market share. They define. The trends, right? Mm-hmm. So I call those, you know, the digital natives. This, let's not pretend we're in the spaces. We're not. <laughs> we're not born in the space, right? But at the same time, let's not be the deniers. Let's not go away like us and Kodak, and I think the last one was Sears, who you know have at one time dominated their industries, were the best product in town, but for some reason or other, kind of failed to see you know where, where things were going with the, the new ways of, of working and looked at the disruptors as 
competitors and not someone they can, they, can, they can work with and adapt. So that layer of companies are the digital adapters. Those are industries like healthcare and banking and, and the retail survivors. I found a way to, to adapt to the style um, that you know, some of these more native digital companies do when it comes to customers and just the automation. You know, they do things very lean. We can learn from that. But you know, just like the banking industry has gone through transformation, started in the late 90s with online banking and the shrinking of branches. And, and today, the fact that you can do just about anything on your cell phone, right, is, again, they've realized not only do those investments in that technology allow them to adapt to customer needs, wants, and desires, make it easier to business with, but they realize operational excellence by, you know, they get to close branches. They, 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 they lean the workforce down. So there's a benefit for them as well. And so when I look at the industries that are doing well, I look at the adapters. The healthcare is another one, very records intensive, very customer-centric organization. Security controls are, are paramount. Privacy controls are paramount. They have technology. They have operational technology and biotech. And they're, you know, how have they adapted within, within this, in this space? What, what, what can we learn from them? So I put utilities right into that you know, the, the digital adapters. And again, it's not, I don't see it as much as the need to adapt as desire, I mean, as, as, as critical, like, you know, we're not going to go the way to Blockbuster, but if we don't, you know, <laughs> we're probably going to, you know, it's probably going to look a little bit different, you know, and, and again, you know, we're, if customers are asked, you know, you know, hey, we can do things a little bit cheaper and we can give you, you know, what, what, your, what your utility doesn't do, what's going to keep it? So right. that's going to be a that's going to be an area that yeah I always call it, it's our game to lose at this at this right now. Yeah, no, and that kind of brings me to my next question. You know, more from an internal perspective, how do you make the case for for your technology or your initiative agendas within your organization to make sure everyone's aligned and shares the same vision and goal and value towards what you guys are trying to achieve? So it, I guess this kind of goes back to the first question on leadership styles. Again, I mentioned, you know, being influential and being able to influence, you know, a vision and a change. And for, and for me, and I probably this is more of a, of a privileged position to be in, is I can describe the destinations I've been there before. I, I know what it looks like. I know what automation looks like. I know what a connected workforce looks like, you know, coming from the private side, coming into the public sector side. I can describe, you know, what the destination looks like and really paint a, when we talk about change, we always, you know, get caught up on the nuances of change and, and really f- forget to describe the destination. Right. right. So keeping that as going back to the storytelling, you know, imagine a day as a dispatcher, imagine a day as a customer, as an engineer, as a mechanic in the, in the shop with, you know, and describing, you know, those journeys from that we can all relate to across the organization as, you know, kind of, kind of foundational. And for me, you know, what I've found even, you know, as our utility is embracing technology, not as just a another tool to do business, but, you know, as a necessity to navigate, you know, you know, customer transition and, and, and workforce transition, we're seeing, you know, the technology discussions and strategies at the board level. They're, they're, they are part of the conversation. You know, the COO, the CFO, you know, is next to the CIO or the C digital officer, right? We see much more of an influential role within utility leadership that technology leads because what happens is that, you know, not only, you know, are we, you know, matching our technology strategy to the business strategy, but in some cases we're leading it. And I, and I mentioned that around the customer side, you know, we're seeing much more of the IT people on the customer side of leading customer strategy because, 
that is a that is you know that's kind of an imperative as well you know so you know just kind of you know, summarize that, that response you know just to you know being able to effectively you know describe the destination and, and describe you know the day in the life as we get there but also recognize that the pace of change is not going to be uniform across different companies and some yeah. companies stronger than others and and being able to respond and, and, and tailor, but still stay on target and kind of stay on mission, right? And one of the things I also say, a very, 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 very careful thing, you know, change management is, you know, kind of an over, over, overly used term. I used to know what it meant. I don't know what it means anymore because we use it so much. But, you know, <laughs> it's really transformation management because as we embrace new technology, new ways of doing business, what I don't want to do is do the same thing with new tools, right? That's not, that's not changed. That's something we've always we come to in the past. And so the need to emphasize business process reengineering and KPIs and making sure the workforce is adapting, utilizing, and reporting back feedback as a closed loop cycle has to make into the change management plans. Right. Makes sense. I see Josh is unmuted. Did you want to add in, Josh? No, I didn't have another question quite yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought I saw you unmute. No worries. That's okay. Joe, you mentioned, you know, obviously being on the private sector, you've seen the, and you know, you've seen the finish line, you understand, you know, what it takes to get there. So you can kind of paint that picture. So again, one of the questions that was asked was what differences do you see between public versus private utilities? And that can be anything from, you know, culture, labor, market organization, and you've touched on, on it, I think a few times, but is there anything else that comes to mind that you can think of? Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, a lot to really, unpack. Really, it comes down. I mean, all those other things we talked about. You know, culture. You know, the level of representation in, in the workforce and and speed and trajectory. It comes down to stakeholder management, right? You know, with on the private side, you have to balance a lot of stakeholders: shareholder value, investors, regulators, interveners. Customers get thrown there sometimes, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's just, you're, you're, there is a, a lot of, there's a lot of interest to serve and the cost of complacency shows up almost immediately. And it does hit the bottom line. The good thing is there's routes of uniformity, uniformity across the workforce. Everybody knows your mission. Everybody knows, you know, what's at stake. There are shared goals. There are shared financial rewards, right? And so that itself provides a bit of cohesion within a, an organization when you're Relying in, in that regard because the immediacy is, is kind of baked into the business model. On the public side, you know, you, you remove the shareholder and profit-driven motives of an organization, but it doesn't remove you know the revenue-driven requirements and being able to make sure that we're leveraging, you know, we're being good fiduciaries of public funds to keep rates low and make sure the system is reliable and resilient and secure. You know, so that's serving a, a kind of a different audience, and you know, and your your stakeholders, and I mentioned earlier, are, are not you know are not necessarily the board of directors represent shareholders. They're the board that represents the people, that represents citizens of of the organization. So again, it's a, it's a little bit of, of a nuance there. And so you know, pace, speed, agility are all going to be a little bit different. Obviously, private companies you know they they, they can't afford to take their time to make decisions and to tolerate you know bad business decisions, they can make them, they can move on, right? They can try, they can fail and learn, right? And so I feel that on the public side, you know, given you know, it's a very risk averse, you know, organization, you know, perfection versus progress kind of gets in the way of things a little bit. And also, 
you know, also making sure that, you know, the employees understand and connect to the bottom line that we're really not there to serve ourselves. We're still there to serve our customers. You know? so, right. so that's kind of, you know, a nuance there. And also when you come from a private side, to so a public side, I'm sure this happens in any industry, you know, going from, you know, going from there to there, I always call the public side, a target rich environment. There's a lot of good things we can do here, right? Because, you know, they haven't, there's a lot of rocks that haven't been uncovered yet, right? There's things that, you know, organizations on the private side have to be lean at necessity, either for, you know, from bad revenue years or utilities on the private side. When you're, the worst thing you have is disallowances of some of your items in your rate case, and you have to make up for that somewhere. It's not going to come from shareholder value. It's going to come from, it's going to come from the bottom line, you know, being able to know we don't have to make those decisions, but we can still, you know, under, understand how to be thrifty and see where, where automation and being lean can transcend into customer value and affordability, right? Because, Let's face it, you know, we talk about our industry. I think we're kind of beyond the, the way to, to project our financial plan is new load growth. I mean, we can talk about, you know, going from a gas mix to electric mix, but for the most part, our industry, you know, is kind of in a weird spot. You know, we have a product, you know, that is beginning to cost more to produce than we can get in the wholesale market, you know, primarily from the, from the price of natural gas going down. People use less of it because we have sent them to with conservation measures and, and other things, but add code to the mix, those that do use the higher problems paying for it. You know, so it really tells me that there is a much more of a focus on not just, you know, looking at revenue, but operational excellence and automation to yield, you know, more affordable energy because of lowering our cost of serving the cost model. Right. Yeah, maybe a quick comment there. I, I made more of a comment than a question. I think I can really appreciate what you said there after seeing some of the things happen down here in the South and Nevada and California, where we've had huge disruptors to utilities that have you know, for lack of a better term, been been sailing freely for a long time, right? And you kind of feel kind of feel for the utilities that they're not prepared to adapt to that change. Those d- big disruptions can send ripples throughout the whole company. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Josh. With the respect of time, we're getting close to the end here, and I always like to close out with some fun questions that are a little more on the personal side. But before we do that. Dr. Brent or, or anyone else, was there, was there anything else that any questions or comments? I want to you know, certainly give you guys the opportunity to add anything that you'd like. I'm okay. Thanks, Justin. Okay. Like I said, so Joe, I mean, obviously being you know, CTO, I'm sure it's from the time you get up, from the time you go to bed and, and probably on your mind while you're sleeping, but do you have any daily habits or routines that, that contribute to your success? And whether that's when meditation in the morning or, you know, certain journaling or even just like a cup of coffee, but is there anything that kind of owns you in and allows you to, you know, plant your stake in the ground? And, and if you do that one thing kind of puts you in that, that sense of accomplishment or, okay, I'm ready to, you know, take over the world. Do you have anything like that, that, that you can think of? Well, maybe Twitter, as a recent, I think you know, for me, <laughs> I don't hit the snooze button when it's time to get at get up. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. and it's so hard to do that. It's, it's, it's cold, yeah. it's raining, you know, over here, the sun never comes up for a few months out of the year. <laughs> just get up. I mean, that's just, you know, that's probably my, my help from the start is to get up. You know, if I say I'm going to wake up at this time, it's going to be at that time, you know, because I, I just think that has a, for me, it, it charges. And as much as I hate to admit, you know, I'm a technologist, but I wish I had a beeper these days because, <laughs> I think that was such a more peaceful existence. I can sleep all night. And, you know, I don't, I don't have to, I can't see TikTok on a beeper. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's not a beeper. <laughs> so it just, 
finding a way to disconnect is again, it's for me, it's so important. But you know, given that we're in this circumstance, you know, us being the industry, we're all working from home and we need to maintain our connections for our employees and our our well-being. We're still, you know, connecting digitally, but just trying to find a way to disconnect has always been a thing that I do. I'm not the, the person to go out and buy the latest and greatest device. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my, my phone's been around for like four years. It still works. <laughs> you know, nice. I'm, the, I'm the least likely guy to download an app because it's just, I still value, I still value the human connections that, that, that we make, you know, and, and being able to talk and engage, hence going back to having those, those fun you know, coffee sessions with staff and peers just to kind of going on but yeah to your question it's i'm trying to do is no students okay so with that answer i suspect you haven't downloaded clubhouse yet (laughs) (laughs) okay well that's that's okay i can respect that well no i think disconnecting in a world right now where we, we feel like we have to be connected and you know it's funny because when the term social distancing it's been around but obviously it's probably used more now than ever in history but I would say socially, we haven't distanced ourselves at all. We're, we're socially more connected through these devices that, that we have in front of our faces 99% of the time. You know, So right. while we're physically distanced, I mean, I think a lot of people really need to sort of define what social distancing is because I don't think we do enough of it, to be honest with you. And so it, it's, it's kind of an interesting perspective, but disconnecting and then allowing yourself to you know, I always jokingly say like, be one with nature, like every once in a while, yeah. you have to. Let's not do emotional distancing. That's kind of, that's kind of the, the role. Great point. And also I, I recognize, I'm not a psychologist, but I, you know, seeing yourself in a three by five box, eight hours a day, it's got to do something. So how do you just kind of recognize that as a constraint and right. we, we understand that it's, it's got to have an impact on us. And- it does. Well, I'm so like my mom told <laughs> my mom told me when I first got my Nintendo that my eyes were going to become square. <laughs> and I still, whenever I look at a screen for too long, I always have that in my mind. Like my mom might be right. One day my eyes might go square from looking at the screen for so long, but so far they're still somewhat round. So I don't know. We'll see where that goes. But again, it, it's been a pleasure. And just a few closing last words. I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events. But if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Great. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. 
Joe and the rest of the gentlemen. Thanks everyone for joining us. It's been a great conversation. I'm sure the audience and all the listeners are certainly pleased with the amount of value and nuggets that you were able to share. Joe, if people are interested to get to know more about you or the type of work you do, I see you're on LinkedIn. Are there any other initiatives that you have going on that you'd like to mention? I think, you know, LinkedIn is probably where I keep most of my activities going forward. And so, you know, that's probably the best source. As I mentioned, I'm probably the most socially disconnected CTO. (laughs) I don't have a Twitter feed. I, I don't have a large social media presence. It's kind of by choice. I'm also a cybersecurity officer, so I gotta be really careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, LinkedIn is probably the greatest source to see what's going on. With, what's going on with me? And, and okay, encourage your listeners to reach out. And Excellent. Well, with that said, Doctor Brent, do you have any closing last words? No, I would just say to Joe, it's not a three by five box that psychologists live in. It's a sixteen <laughs> by nine. Box. <laughs> <laughs> well, aspect ratio, Joe, there for the uh, the technically challenged. But in all seriousness, no, Joe, I really want to thank you and everybody on the call, but particularly you for, for your time. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, the purpose of this is to get insight into how you think and how you respond and how you act to the changes going on in the industry around us. And you gave us a lot of great information and food for thought for that. So to that end, thank you very much. Appreciate no, it. And thanks to you, Justin, for hosting. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And with that being said, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.